go with another in our series of podcasts from Michael Card. In the studio, I'm Wayne Shepard. Michael, we've got a lot in front of us here today. We do. We've got a pretty full schedule. We do. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking through the Gospels, and yes. today we reached the Gospel of John. Yeah. And you're going to talk to us about uh, resurrection. And, and looking at the details yeah. and listening to the text. Well, here yeah. we are just before Holy Week. Yes. So how appropriate we would talk about uh, resurrection. I hope it'll help people prepare their hearts. Uh, Ken Boa will join us later in the yeah. program today. Well, that'll be a lightweight conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy, uh, Ken is, uh, I know from our conversation with him last time, how the two of you hit it off when it comes to stargazing. Yeah. Well, and it's not necessarily the topic today, but. But he's he's just, he has this encyclopedic kind of brain. He, he, he has to make up words as he's going because he's coming up with new thoughts. <laughs> Of course, we're going to hear some of your music, live performance here in the studio. We'll uh, we'll talk about a song in just a moment, as a matter of fact. But we asked our listeners recently through social media, what songs would you like to hear featured on In the Studio with Michael Card? And we got 100 plus responses Well, I was so afraid that there would be crickets. <laughs> <laughs> what song would you like to hear? No, really. What song would you like to hear? <laughs> Tina wrote and said, my absolute favorite is Stranger on the Shore uh. or Dry Bones. I, I know showing my age, but I remember being a young adult driving my VW Bug blasting these in my cassette, uh. on her cassette. She sounds like a hippie to me. <laughs> uh, we're going to hear Valley of Dry Bones in just a few moments. Cindy wrote and said, the Valley of Dry Bones. That's her vote as well. That's my odd. absolute favorite. Please she says with about uh, five question marks. Ezekiel? She's pleading with you to sing that song. Ezekiel? And they want to hear a song from Ezekiel? And you know what? Cindy's request for Valley of Dry Bones got three likes on Facebook. So Wow. You know okay. that's a popular song. Well, you know right? what an affirmation junkie I am. I'll <laughs> yeah. stand on my head and play it if they want me to. Speaking of standing on your head, <laughs> uh, you're not going to stand on your head to sing this, but you are going to play an instrument that I'm not all that familiar with, a bazooki? Yeah, it's it was a it was an instrument I got really interested in four or five years ago, five or six years ago, and I you know you get you buy one and and uh, it's not terribly hard to play. It's a beautiful sounding instrument, but then the 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 logistics of flying it and you know when you're on a bus you can throw as many instruments in the in the bay as you can you right, know as you right. can but. I don't know. So it's been sitting... It's kind of fragile to take on a plane? It's kind of fragile, and there's only so much stuff you can take, and that sounds like I'm complaining, doesn't it? But uh, <laughs> it's just the reason why I need to, I need to just drive more, because I can stick a bunch of things in the back. Well, I wanted to mention it, because you're going to play it on this song, yes. Valley of Dry Bones, yeah, it's and a pretty, your daughter... It's pretty, pretty instrument. Your daughter, Katie Card, Katie Card Wharton, yes. now married. Yes. Uh, at the time, it was Katie Card, is going to play the... Uh, the, the Boron. Boron, the yeah. Irish. I couldn't think of the name of it. Yeah. So here's Katie with her dad, Michael. Behold a valley filled with bones, bones on every side. A valley vast, the floor so full of bones so very dry. The Lord did ask, can these bones live? Might these bones rise once more? What else was I to say but you alone can tell, O Lord? A legion now alive, a resurrected army. Holy host of a people born again Then prophesy, O son of man Cry out to this dead horde And when they come to life again They'll know I am the Lord And as I spoke what I was told there came a rattling sound As bone to bone they formed a mass Of bodies on the ground Your dead will come alive Their graves will lie abandoned And all those living in the dust Will wake and shout for joy Then I called upon the 
upon these lane to breathe. At once they stood upon their feet, a mighty vast army. A legion now alive, a resurrected army, a living holy host of a people born again. The dead will come alive, their graves will lie abandoned, and all those dwelling in the dust will wake and shout for joy. Michael Card and daughter. Doing a little drum solo there at the end. <laughs> Valley of Dry Bones, requested by listeners quite often, actually. Hmm. Uh, you want to take us into John and talk about the theme of resurrection. Yeah. Um, I, I think John John and Luke are, are constantly fighting to be my favorite Gospels <laughs> uh, because they're both so unique. But, of course, everyone knows John is the most unique, right? Mm-hmm. 92% of John isn't yep. in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Right. And I think a lot of it has to do with his his age and the fact. I mean, think that think of this. By, by the time John's writing his gospel, Peter's been dead for thirty years. Imagine that he's the last one. Yeah. It's also John's closeness to Jesus. Yeah, it, yeah. I think they're related. I think they're cousins. Um, so there are a lot of reasons that makes make John uh, I think special. Uh, I I think maybe one of the biggest ones that's most uh, often overlooked is he's been preaching and teaching these things for 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it comes together in themes uh, the way it does. I mean, there's sort of an elegance. Uh, Mark doesn't have that elegance. Now, Mark, is it's God's Word and it's perfect. Don't get me wrong. Right. But their, their perfection is sort of different. You know, it takes on different uh, qualities. Well, when you think about it in those terms, the detail in John that is, is written here yep. after all that length of time. Yep, and it's eyewitness detail, a lot of it. I yeah, mean, he, right. he saw a lot of these things and... Uh, um, Unforgettable stuff, huh? Yeah, uh, yeah. And and I think he, he puts together uh, a lot of things. Uh, we're we're going to talk about the, the this idea of the persistence of doubt. Um, you know, you get in Luke, that great central section of Luke between chapter 9 and 19, Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and in an in ever-increasing detail, he's telling them, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. He tells them that over and over again with a little bit more detail in, in general. Uh, I'm going to be spat upon, I'm going to be bound. You know, he, he adds these details as he goes. And so he had made it clear that they were to expect him to be raised from the dead. But what is stunning to me, and you see it beginning with Lazarus, the, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, um, and he had raised other people from the dead at this point, but, you know, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Both Martha and Mary say that to him. Yeah, they don't expect it, do they? No, no, it's just, it's it's almost as if it's beyond their ability to... Uh, to expect that to happen. If you had been here, yeah, my if, brother would not have died. Right. If only that, that's not a statement expecting him to come back to life. No, I don't think so. Well, I mean, G- Jesus says to um, to uh, Martha, "Your brother will rise again," and she goes, "Well, I know at the resurrection." Yeah. Yeah. She thinks he's like giving her a pat on the back and giving her the kind of encouragement <laughs> you get at, her. at funerals. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, oh, you're going to see him again. Yeah. Well, I know at the last day, but I, and and just lately, Wayne, I've. One of my questions was always, Mary waiting, you know, Jesus is there, and she she stays right where she is until he sends for her, and then she kind of she goes running to him. I think she was hurt and disappointed. Mm-hmm. I think there's a whole emotionality to that the story of Lazarus that we've we've missed between those two sisters. We make cartoon characters out of them, yeah, and they're real flesh and blood people who are much deeper, I think, in their emotional. Yeah. Makeup than we give like them the credit. disciples. Mary and Martha didn't get it. No, they they didn't get it, and and they seemed to be incapable of getting it. So again, look. So we go back to the disciples. The disciples are hearing it all along the way, and at one point, uh, I, I think it's Luke. It's they discuss amongst themselves what rising from the dead might mean. Hmm. So what does he mean? We say rising from the dead. Can't mean rising from the dead. So I wonder what he means. You know, it's some. It's a metaphor. Symbol, yeah, some symbolic language that he's. Uh, uh, so yeah, and and Jesus, especially in in John, he's lonelier and lonelier and more and more uh, mis, misunderstood and more and more cut off until finally he's all alone. 
uh, on the cross. But then after the cross and after the resurrection happens, the persistence of their doubt is what amazes me. Uh, Peter looks in the tomb. He sees the empty tomb. And John says he walks away wondering to himself what, what had happened. What does this mean? Right. And um, you, you see Thomas, you know, until I see the wounds, I'm not going to believe. And, uh, and on it goes. They, there's just no expectation of resurrection. The, I think the first clue is the women go to the tomb to anoint a dead body, hmm. right? Yep. And when they see that the stone's been rolled away, do they say, oh, he's been raised from the dead? No, they say someone, someone stole, stole the, body. the body. Right. So there is zero expectation of resurrection. Jesus, Jesus is talking to Mary. She thinks he's the gardener. She has no expectation of, of seeing him. So this, this idea of, of, of the persistence of their doubt, and even, and here's the big one. If, if you look at Matthew 28, this is when he's giving them the Great Commission. Uh, let me just read uh, 28, 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. From the tomb, he told them, tell the disciples to meet me back in Galilee. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yep. they go back. Yep. When they saw him, they worshiped. But, but some, some doubted. doubted. There it is. Yeah, I've, I've never noticed that there before. Yeah, the persistence of their doubt is is amazing. But here's here's the thing: don't roll your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> don't roll your eyes at the disciples. We're guilty because we do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how much more? I mean, we have the Holy Spirit. They didn't even they didn't have the Spirit yet. Yeah, right. We have the Holy Spirit in us, active, revealing to us, t- telling us who He is and what He means, and and we still we still doubt. Mm. After all he's done, I mean, how is that even possible? Well, when you think about Matthew 28, some doubted. I mean, perhaps not just one, but more than one of the 11 doubted. One of the 11, right? Then maybe we owe Thomas an apology. <laughs> what do you well, think? Maybe he, he was one of them. He is the classic, uh, he's the classic doubter. But it's interesting to me. Let's look at that passage. Jesus does not condemn him. He is not condemned for that, that's in John twenty twenty four. Yeah, let's look at it. Uh, but Thomas called the twin, and the tradition is that he's called the twin because he looks so much like Jesus. Isn't that a cool <laughs> yeah, idea? Yeah. I mean, it's just a tradition, but an interesting one. Just like you and Joe Carlson, our producer, look alike, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're mistaken for twins at the airport today. Okay. Now, that was hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I digress. But, but Thomas, uh, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. Now, people are seeing, I mean, and, and this happened when, when, when the women came and told the disciples that he'd been raised. They didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Now, Thomas hears that they've seen him, and he doesn't believe it, okay? But, but he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. So that is, you know, persistent. That's uh, hardcore doubt. Oh, man. A week later, so Thomas had to wait a whole week. Uh, a week later, his disciples were indoors again, and the, in, the, the hint is that they're hiding. Um, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, which is the ordinary greeting. It's like, mm-hmm. hi. Okay? Shalom laka. Shalom. Um, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and my understanding, there, a, a more a more literal translation is bring your finger over here, which I think is a little bit humorous, okay? So pr- bring your finger over here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God, there's no indication that he did it. In fact, I don't think he did. Oh. I don't think he did. I think he sees and he hears Jesus. And he just says, "My Lord and my God, you know, bring oh, your bring your amazing. finger. Yeah, hmm. stick your hand here. Come on." And he and I don't I don't think he. I don't I, need to, Lord. I think the text would have said that, but that's that's just me. I wouldn't be dogmatic about that. Jesus said, "Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe." And one of the consistent themes, especially in the Gospel of Mark, is a willingness to believe without seeing. And so, so Jesus pronounces a Baroka blessing on those who have seen him. But it, Wayne, he has us in mind. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's you and me. That's right. We haven't seen yet we've believed. Um, and then the the here's the and this is the original ending of the Gospel of John. 
Uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What do you mean by the original ending? Well, I mean, didn't that sound like an ending? Yeah. It, well, and later, doesn't he say all the books in the world, all the well, libraries wouldn't hold? The, the idea is that 21, it, it, it initially ends uh, at 20. Uh, and what okay. happens is there was a rumor that John wouldn't die until Jesus came back. And what happens is ch- chapter 21 is is God's word. It's it's John's teaching. But the idea is it was it was uh, it was added by his disciples after he died because what oh. happens is he dies, and everyone thinks Jesus has come back and they missed it. Oh. Uh, Paul has to deal with that. There are people who think that the second coming has happened and they, they've missed it. And if you if you look later on in chapter one, he he deals with that um, uh, with that rumor. It's in verse twenty. So Peter turned around and saw Jesus, uh, the disciple Jesus loved. That's John mm-hmm. who has died. Right at this point, oh, okay. Um, the one who leaned against him at supper and asked, "Lord, who's it that's going to betray you?" When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, "Lord, what about him?" Because Jesus has just told Peter what's going to happen to him—that he's going to stretch out his hands and be led where he doesn't want to go, which is a reference to Peter being crucified. And here's what Jesus said: "If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, you follow me." He's trying to focus Peter, and here's the explanation. And I. I a lot of people believe this was added after John de- died. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not tell him he would not die. But he only said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testified to these things. So there it goes on. Yeah. So this testimony is jo- it's Johannine. It's, jo- it's John. But what's happened is there's this myth <laughs> That came from a misunderstanding of a statement of Jesus that John's not going to die until he comes back. Well, what happens? He dies, and everyone freaks out. And so chapter 21, we think, was was added to dispel that rumor. Jesus didn't say that. Mm-hmm. He only said, what is it to you if I want him to remain until I come back? You're already working on your next book, aren't you? I am. And is this some of the stuff maybe that will come up? Uh, it's it's stuff like this. It's it's trying to listen to the details of the life of Jesus. My, my conviction in this book, and I think this may be the last book I ever write. Um, never say I, never. I know. Uh, but but I, I want to know everything that can be known, everything that can be known about Jesus. And what happened is uh, years ago I was in, I was in, uh, in Jerusalem talking to a, a rabbi, a friend who has a very high tolerance for Christians. And in the, in the midst of our discussion, we were talking about is Jesus kosher, and what sense is Jesus kosher? And I said, well, of course he's kosher. He walks to Jerusalem three times a year. And this rabbi says, well, do you know what that means? I said, well, why don't you tell me? And he said, it means he spends three months out of every year walking back and forth to Jerusalem from Galilee. And that blew me away. See, I knew the fact. I knew that he goes three and sometimes four times a year because in John he goes for Hanukkah which isn't even a biblical feast, but he walks all that way, almost 100 miles. That's a long walk. But, but this guy helped me to see this is what that fact means. And so what I want to do is go all through the life of Jesus and ask what the facts mean. For example, okay, uh, we know that the, 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 the determined Passover. You start with the new moon, right, and then you count days until the moon is full. And when the moon's full, it's Passover. Well, Jesus is walking from from uh, Galilee to Jerusalem during at least part of that time, and every night he sees the moon getting more and more full. So he has to know that when that moon is full, he's going to be crucified. He's crucified on a full under a full moon. Wow! And um, what's I mean, he's not on the cross under the full moon, but you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. That it's like a time clock that he's seeing as he as he makes his way to Jerusalem. Um, it's almost kind of written in the. There's a clock that's going off in the sky or something. So it's those kind of details. What did he wear? You know, uh, when he stubbed his toe, what did he say? I mean, everything that can be known about Jesus, <laughs> I want to know about Jesus. So that's what I'm working on. Okay. Okay. Another uh, another group of details I'm looking at are the plots. You know, the because there's a plot that begins in the very first chapter of Mark. I think the I plots mean, against Jesus. Against Jesus, of course. The, they're trying to kill him when he's born. I mean, they're, you know, yeah. Herod's killing the innocents in yeah. Bethlehem. And, and the, the, the fact that there's this shadow 
uh, in one sense, over his whole life, but certainly over over his ministry, there are people from the very beginning who've decided, you know, we may very well have to kill this guy. And and what what tone does that set? You know, he he's he's occasionally hiding from people. He's telling people he'll do a miracle, and 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 there are there are four miracles I think that are are uh, distinctly uh, related to the Messiah. Uh, that uh, he would heal someone who was born blind. Only the Messiah was supposed to do that. Raising the dead certainly, curing leprosy because it was believed that it was harder to cure a leper than it was to raise the dead, and then to exorcise a deaf mute. Those are the four things that the rabbi said. Those are uniquely messianic miracles. So he's doing those kinds of things, and um, and and he'll do those, and he'll say, "Don't tell anybody I did that," because he's trying to keep. I think he's trying to keep a lid. Uh, lid on things because at one point was is after the feeding the five thousand they want to make him king by force so there are these dynamics that are going on all around Jesus and I don't know about you I'd never thought about these things before but you'll you'll see these references and you read right over them uh, I think it's interesting at one point in John they ask themselves the crowd who's always wrong in John by the way uh, does he intend to kill himself. So at one point, for some reason, they think he may commit suicide because mm. he's talking about going someplace where they can't go or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, one of his disciples does commit suicide. Yeah. So it's not as if that's not you know something that happens. Well, these are fascinating points, details to think through. Yeah, that's, well, I that's can see what why, I can see why you're embarking on this book. That's what I want to do. I want to understand. I want to understand everything that I can understand about Jesus. And some people say like. You know, I want to know what he says when he when he in Aramaic, first century Aramaic. What do you say when you stump your toe? <laughs> People say that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Well, I want to know that, so it may be stupid, but I want to know. It's important that. to Michael Carr. I'm going to find out. <laughs> okay. I will let you know. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking with Ken Boa in a few minutes here on this podcast about suffering mm. and uh, how it's uh, earning for us an eternal weight of glory. Yeah. Something we don't really understand, I don't think. So Ken will help us with that later. Yeah, I think he has understood a dimension of suffering that no one has written about yet. I think it's it's a, it's pretty exciting, this new book. So let's get ready for that by asking you to sing from the studio performance here, the song Tears of the World. Mm, okay. Poison that heals 
permission to weep Just one of the tears of the world And so come the call of this sorrowful man To set our small sadness aside And to weep sovereign sorrow No matter the cost To follow him boldly And wait in the tide So open my eyes And open my heart And grant me the gift Of your grieving And awaken in me The compassion to weep Just one of the tears Of the world Just one of the tears of the world Such a powerful song to link Michael's teaching and the conversation coming with Ken Boa on his book, Shaped by Suffering. We hope you'll pass along your reactions to our program. You can send your comments or song requests to us through our website. Go to michaelcard.com and scroll down to contact. We look forward to reading what you post to michaelcard.com. And in the weeks ahead, we'll feature more songs requested by listeners. You can extend the impact of the teaching you've heard from Michael. Check out his insights through his weekly blog, his books, music, and Bible conferences. Explore all this at michaelcard.com. Well, coming up, that conversation with Ken Boa. It's next here in the studio with Michael Card. On next week's session in the studio with Michael Card, our focus is on the events of Holy Week. Pastor Colin Smith joins us to explore the details of the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. It's a challenging conversation about the mindset that can pull us away from the Savior. Then, Michael will guide us through some of the significant moments leading up to the cross with scripture and music. Look for the post, invite others to join us. All the details at michaelcard.com. Michael, in response to our request for listeners to tell us what songs they'd like to hear you sing on the program, Uh we heard from a number of listeners, and I thank them for that. Uh, We heard from Fran, who wanted El Shaddai, Emmanuel, join the journey. Fran says, thank you, Michael, for producing not only beautiful music, but especially scriptural and worshipful music. Well, that's awfully nice of her to say that. Fran, thank you. Doris says, I love uh, what her heart remembered. I'm also really enjoying the Hesed CD. And I'd like to hear Come Lift Up Your Sorrow. So, Ah, well, that might fit in with our next guest. Yeah, we have a guest who's going to join us. And after that conversation... We'll turn to Michael's performance of Come Lift Up Your Sorrows, which would have been my request as Which well. is my favorite song is of it? all the songs. I, I, I'd love to hear you yeah, sing yeah. it. Well, So we will hear you sing it after we talk with Ken Boa here today. Ken, welcome back to In the Studio. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Great for uh, coming back on with us, after, uh, especially owing to the fact that you were on with us earlier. Yeah, when people come back, it especially encourages That's pretty us. cool. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 that, what might that mean? What does that forebode? I don't know. I, I, well, <laughs> I think it maybe means that you forgot how bad it was last time. That, that's very well the case. <laughs> I'm pretty I remember I the conversation very well because you, uh, you both talked about the starry sky. Oh, we and, were indeed, yes. And yes, your yes. interest in astronomy, uh-huh. Michael, fit right in mm-hmm. with Ken. Oh, what so. do you think about Bale Juice, Ken? What do you think about Betelgeuse? juice? Is it, is it going to blow or what? <laughs> Betelgeuse. They, the, the enormous. You know, it, I don't know if people know how huge that star is. It's incredible. No one's no one's really sure. It's big enough though to form a neutron star. It's not actually probably a black hole though. Well, it's it's as big as the orbit of Jupiter. That's correct. Right. And if, given, it, given that size, it's so big and so many solar masses, as you know, with uh, stellar um, uh, evolution, uh, then when it supernovas, then the question will be the stellar masses that determines whether it becomes a black hole, a black dwarf, or if it becomes a neutron star. 
and various variations there. Have you been watching it dim? I have not, actually. Okay, but, uh, it, it, it was the 10th brightest star in the sky. It's now the 30th brightest star in the sky. It's oh, visibly... that I haven't noticed. Oh, so you let should... me find, I'm going to look that up right away. How did it... It, so used, it used to be. Then? It used to be the brightest star. It's a, it's the top uh, right shoulder of Orion. Okay, that's right. Um, yeah. And visibly red in color. Well, the 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 other knee, uh, Betelgeuse, Rigel, Rigel, uh, Rigel yeah. it's Rigel is now brighter than Betelgeuse. Now, what's the what's the speculation about this? And is is there some kind of uh, they, what kind of event are they speculating? They think it's shrinking, and then it's going to go supernova and get big and be brighter than the moon for like a month. That's, that's, that's my guess too, because what's happened is it's reached perhaps the limit of its iron. When once it yeah. once from the stellar evolution hits iron, then it no longer it's got no can place to go. Itself, yeah. and then it'll go back in. Well, and so that's why it's black uh, lowering down. This, uh, which means it'll be very any moment, perhaps. Yeah. the thing is going to become massively bright. Yeah. Well, I know it's my fault because I brought up the starry sky. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but this but is huge. Nothing I, like this has ever been. I'm going to have to Google every. Everything you just talked about. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are about to see a supernova. Yeah, it'll be it'll be visible during the day. Oh yeah, when that, it first that, goes. That's truly, that'll be one. Of, that'll be uh, one of the greatest supernovae ever observed. Mm-hmm. Ever. Ken, would they, you mind the 10, 1054. What's that? Would you mind if I talked about your book for a moment? Of course. But here, here's, <laughs> the, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Wayne. It's six hundred light years away, so it happened like six hundred years ago. Okay. Yeah. And we haven't we're, seen it yet. We're looking back in the past. Yeah. It's, that, it's that'll be the closest supernova ever. Yes. Speaking uh, of the eternal past, let's look at the eternal future. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Ken has written a book called Shaped by Suffering. How temporary hardships prepare us for our eternal home. How's that for a transition, Mike? That that's a, that was a great transition, <laughs> and and I'm anxious to hear, uh, especially from the viewpoint of Peter, because uh, uh, I I've, I've thought a lot about suffering and the way it shapes us and the way it, it, it but but how it shapes us for eternity. I, that has never occurred to me. It's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? The idea, and when you just mentioned Peter. Um, in fact, my original suggestion for the title of Shape by Suffering, and, I, and frankly, Shape by Suffering is far more elegant, but it was pa- taken from my favorite verse in First Peter. As you know, First Peter is, uh, is the Job of the New Testament insofar as all five chapters allude to adversity and suffering. Mm-hmm. But the summary that's beautifully encompassed in, 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 in verse 10 of chapter 5, when he says um, that after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, there are two profound points about that. It's not if, it's after. Mm. Suffering is not an elective in the university of life. It's Mm. a required course. Mm. And furthermore, though, how long will it last? A little while. It's momentary light affliction Mm. producing for us an eternal weight of uh, glory far beyond all comparison. Mm. Whereas Paul says um, elsewhere, that I consider the sufferings of this present time aren't even worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. So it has to do with contextualizing our adversity in this soul-forming world. And that's exactly what we are. So if we grasp that idea of a soul-forming world, then we recognize that we are being shaped and, and crafted so that in our soul we're going to become more and more consistent with who we already are in the heavenly places in our spirit in Christ Jesus, so that we are now new beings, and yet at the same time we're becomers. We're becoming in our practice who we are called to be, but it's the crucible of adversity that will uh, achieve this. Is there anything in this life that shapes us more than suffering? It's difficult to think so because, uh, of any, because when we stop and think, yes, we have our joys and our fears, and so I, I don't want to be entirely negative. I think we do learn, uh, because consider C.S. Lewis's phrase, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our conscience, and he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a, mm-hmm. a, 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 you know, a deaf world. Now, if that's true, by the way, wisdom would be, listen, listen to his pleasures, Listen to his quiet voice in the pleasures and be grateful and understand that all is gift and grace. Few do, so we have to take sterner measures. But if we look at the qualities we most admire in heroic men and women of the past, what are the qualities that immediately come to our mind? People will usually say integrity or courage or perseverance or humility. Now stop for them for a moment. Are those qualities, are any one of them forged in times of ease? 
Never, not a one. Yeah. Always forge in the, in the anvil and the crucible of adversity so that the beauty is that the alchemy of grace, the grace of God, is that it transmutes the lead of suffering into the gold of glory. Well, even Jesus learned through what he suffered. Precisely, and it was needful for him to do so, because as the God-man, then we have this amphibian, the fact that we are are amphibious beings, one foot in heaven, one on the earth, and we are Christ himself, who is the image of the invisible God. He becomes man with undiminished deity, fully human. Clearly, then, it's needful for him, through the adversities of this world, to experience all the temptations that we've gone through, and then this would include the adversities that he'd be trained through, but yet without sin. Ken, when we think of suffering, we think of those things that are physical. You write about non-physical suffering as well in your book. That's correct. Because think of the anguish of depression. Uh, people who have uh, experienced profound rejection and uh, have a, a, a horrendous sense of a lack of worth, a lack of hope, a lack of purpose, a lack of meaning. All, all, there are so many emotional things. They're not necessarily going to be physical. In many cases, that could be even more agonizing, as we can imagine, what that would be like. So there are internal, and of course, um, another kind is the things that are self-inflicted that we've brought upon, uh, upon ourselves, uh, that Peter says there's uh, it's far better for you to learn not from things that you've done wrong, but as, if you suffer as a follower of Jesus. But even there, I believe God redeems what he allows. Mm. You include discouragement in that list? I would. Yes, I would, because you see, all who of us hasn't wrestled with those times of doubts, discouragement, dis- depression, disappointment? Um, and we all understand what that's like. It's a school of adversity that trains us into the richness of the fullness of the Spirit as we abide in Christ and walk by the Spirit, which is, by the way, the purpose of the second of this tr- of the trilogy. Because as we know, saved by suffering is really the third uh, in this eternal perspective trilogy. Uh, and it's how, it, how temporary hardships are preparing us for our eternal home. But the one before it, was really life in the presence of God, and um, the whole idea then of practices for living in light of eternity, and then the first, rewriting your broken story, the power of an eternal perspective. So it all goes down to this idea, and here's what I tell people, that we are no longer defined by the pain of our bounded past, but by the joy of our unbounded future. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now that so is say, a, yeah, that's say a that song again. lyric right you there. you got to say that again. Yeah, let me write that uh, down. Okay. <laughs> We are no, this is astonishing when you stop and think how ugly unique it is. We are no longer defined by the pain of our bounded past, but rather by the joy of our unbounded future. So that I, therefore, again, I consider the sufferings of this present time not even worth comparing. I use this analogy. Imagine if you lived 90 years and it was a largely adverse life, difficult, painful, and you stand before the presence of the Lord, the one who is the creator of the transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty, and you see that's the face you've been wanting all your life and didn't know it. Now, you have an hour in his presence. He then says, would you be willing to go back for another 90 years of adversity so you can have another hour with me? I don't believe we would even hesitate. But the beauty is, the hour with him is eternity. And the 90 years is as nothing. Live with a thousand-year perspective. The things we fret about, worry about, fear, and so discouraged about now, won't matter a hill of beans a thousand years from now. So what are the things that will matter? It's going to be, I think the things we will regret at the Bema will be not our pain, no. We'll regret the times we didn't trust him enough to, to uh, do what he calls us to do. Ken, I certainly see in your book that you are writing this uh, to yourself as well as us, right? Yes, of course. In fact, 2018, the year I was writing it, was the most painful and difficult year of my life. Why should I have been surprised now I look back on it? Mm. What's going on? Well, there are some things that were relational that were so extraordinary. Things There was a cluster and a constellation of things, and part of it, my wife's Parkinson's, but also her own difficulties, and then some uh, relational tensions that have been profound and hurtful for her as well. So, uh, but there are many other things as well, and just for a a kind of a cascade of things, 
these things come in groups and clusters sometimes, mm. and they're need- needful to get our attention. Um, I think I, yes, I remember I quoted Aeschylus in the book, and this astonishing statement, this uh, Greek playwright in the 5th century, how could he say this? He says, he who learns must suffer, and even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart, and in our own despair against our will comes wisdom from the awful grace of God. You know, Michael and Ken, in God's timing, there's someone who's listening to this podcast right now that just is at the end of the rope, mm. and it just doesn't seem worth it anymore, and here along comes Ken with this encouragement for us today. Yeah, and not simply to say there's purpose or there's meaning, but there is this eternal purpose. Yeah. Uh, and Eternal that's, weight of glory, as and, the scriptures, yeah and, yeah. and that's what's so encouraging me about this book, the idea that this is, it, there is a purpose in shaping us for eternity, and uh, not just persevering. I mean, sometimes that's the best I could come up with. I'm going to persevere through mm-hmm. this or yeah. learn something through yeah. it. I'm just going to survive this. But it's it's an even bigger purpose than I think any of us ever imagined. Mm. It's to forge Christ in us, mm. Christ in you, the hope of glory, so that ultimately then we become like him, but beautifully through mm. the prism of, and of our personality, each of us will uniquely display and dis- and refract and reflect the glory of Christ in a way that no one else can. It's the stuff of eternity. And thinking of that, we, we all know the, tap, the tapestry metaphor, that heaven's view is looking down in the tapestry, our view on earth, we right. see discordant and tangled The backside, yeah. And then he turns it over, we know the story, and he, we see, ah, heaven's view. I said, I, let me add one thing to that metaphor. I suspect that the most beautiful patterns in that tapestry will have been forged during our times of greatest adversity. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ken, we're, we're getting close to the end, end of our time here. I want to hear you, as only you can respond, uh, I want to hear you respond to this statement, okay? At the point in his life when he's most being used by God, Jesus is lamenting. My God, my God, Eloi, 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 Yeah. How would you? Well, because it's this point that he knew before the foundation of the world that he would, in fact, somehow be mysteriously separated from the Father. This is inconceivable. The the, the drops of blood, as it were, was not because of the uh, awful power and of the cross in terms of the agony of the crucifixion. Nothing. It's the separation from that relationship. This boggles the imagination. I'm working on a book right now on the uniqueness of biblical theism, just these concepts of, of the God-man, of the triune, triune, triunity of God, of his grace, of the fact that he woos us, pursues us, goes after us. He's the one who sacrifices for us, that it is, in fact, a gift that he offers for us, justification, the second birth, and you can go on and on. This is astonishing. No one ever could have made it up or did. It's utterly from the hand of the living God. So here he is, the one who transcends time and energy and matter. All these things, he are artifacts of his creation. And in the mystery that we get to participate, even when we invite a person, when we pray for a person's salvation, we are asking God to have done something before the foundation of the world. So so if our suffering now shapes us for eternity, what's the relationship of Jesus' suffering to our eternity? We're going to... One of the things that's noteworthy is that, behold my, my hands and my feet, and see where they pierce my side. The resurrected body of mm. Christ will always bear his, his, his pain. And therefore, in a deathless, uh, ageless world in which we no longer see any pain, we'll always see that artifact of our salvation, wow. that's, that sacrament that's visible to, to us, always manifests. So he is still the lion and the lamb. That is still that is still part of his identity. Yes, that's the point. But and we every time we see it, you see this is what I paid. This is what you're worth. It was not with silver or gold that you were redeemed from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a, blem- of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's what we are worth. Mm. Now, I cannot imagine how could this be. I know we are bearers of the Imago Dei. Yes, we do. And he loves us, but there's something profound 
unbelievable, mm. incomprehensible, that the author of space and time and matter and energy, the wellspring of truth, goodness, and beauty, would in fact become a human, not to live, but to die and give his life as a ransom for many, so that we could enter into his joy. I have a lyric that says, the marks of death that God chose never to erase. Never to erase. Yeah, they're, they're always wow. going to be best, exactly so. Yeah. And there, in a deathless world, you'll see that artifact and recognize this is why you live. Mm. Everything in this life, if we're wise, even now, let's learn it. Everything is gift and grace. Mm. Everything. Mm. Gift. That's the key to humility. Finally realize, what do you have that you, were, that you weren't given? Then why do you boast as if it wasn't given to you? Mm. The point is, everything is gift and grace. And we then will begin to comprehend, apprehend, and be immersed I love this phrase by Thomas Dubai in his Evidential Power of Beauty when he says, we've been created and redeemed for the eternal ecstasy of interpersonal immersion in the triune Godhead, beholding infinite beauty face to face. Ken, I'm so thankful that you've joined us today and that you've written this book. I know some listeners have been deeply touched by your message here today, so thank you. Thank you. Shaped by Suffering is the book. Michael, as requested by several listeners, and so appropriate right now, let's hear your song, Come Lift Up Your Sorrows. If you are wounded And if you're Your heart is cold as stone If you have fallen And if you are weak Then come find the worth of God That only the suffering seek come lift up your sorrows and offer your pain and come make a sacrifice of all your shame waiting for you to worship him with your wounds for he's wounded too and he has not stuttered and he has not lied when he said come unto me you're not disqualified if you're heavy laden you may want to depart but though who knows sorrow they're closest to his heart come lift up come lift up your sorrow and offer your pain and offer your pain come make a sacrifice and come make a sacrifice There in your wilderness He's waiting for you He's waiting for you To worship Him To worship Him with your wounds For He's wounded too In 
this most holy place He's made a sacred space For those who will enter in And trust to cry out to Him No curtain there, no reason left for fear, and there's perfect freedom here to weep every unwept tear. So lift up your sorrow. Come on. And offer live performance of Come Lift Up Your Sorrows. Thanks to our listeners who requested this fitting song to wrap up the hour. If our time together has been valuable for you, could you help get the word out about this program by posting a review? Your opinion matters and we'd appreciate your feedback. Invite a friend to subscribe. Accessing the podcast is easy on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify when you search for Michael Card. And on our website, you'll find the links for Ken Boa and his book, Shaped by Suffering. You can access Michael's weekly blog and learn about his conference ministry all at michaelcard.com. Join us next week for a program of music and conversation here in the studio with Michael Card.